Uh, we are in the Gospel of John. We are studying the Gospel of John throughout uh, the majority of 2019. Uh, so we are, uh, we are in John chapter 2 today. Just a little reminder, um, uh, encouraging you to read the Gospel to share the gospel, and to invite others. Uh, the gospels are out there. I hope you'll pick those up, grab a handful, take them with you, keep them with you so that you can give them away. Uh, we are having uh, invite a friend, invite family or friends on March the 3rd. Uh, it's our come and see date. And so I hope that uh, you will... Um, be thinking about that. The next couple of weeks, we'll give you uh, some tools that will help you to do that. But I want you to be praying about who you might be inviting, that we invite some of our friends. That day will be specifically about John 3.16. Uh, so I, I look forward to that day and hope that you will invite some others. The Gospel of John. Uh, in this early part of John, you, we have seen that there are two Johns. Uh, there's, we saw last week, John the Baptist. I called him John the Baptizer because that's why he's the Baptist for what he was doing. He was the cousin of Jesus, the preacher, kind of fire and brimstone preacher, one who came to lead the way for Jesus. We, we've seen all of that. And then we met John the Apostle, John the son of Zebedee, John the brother of James. His mother was Salome and the one that the Holy Spirit used to write this uh, what is our fourth gospel, the gospel uh, of Jesus Christ through John. Uh, so we've, we've met Jesus in verses 1, 1 through 18, the seven wonders. Uh, we looked last week at his calling of these first disciples. Uh, now, um, now John is ready to lay out for us the first of seven signs that he has for us. You know, we, we see signs everywhere, right? Signs are so critical to us. As a matter of fact, if you're going to get irritated about something, it's probably because the signage wasn't very good and you got yourself lost. You didn't know where you were going. You were a little uncertain. Um, we, we have road signs and street signs and directional signs and business or location signs. You know how it is. You're driving along. You're looking for a particular place. And then out in the distance, you say, there it is. I see the sign. And you, you see that sign, and it takes you exactly to the place where you wanted to go. The sign gets you to where you're going. And so there are seven signs. Uh, all, it, this sign in John 2 is a miracle. It's a sign uh, that John wanted us to, we're, we're supposed to read the sign. We're supposed to recognize where the sign is leading us. And so as we look at this miracle that Jesus worked in the first 11 verses of chapter 2, uh, the turning the water into wine, it's my prayer that every one of us could read the sign well and not miss what God is trying to say to us uh, through Jesus this morning. Would you, would you just make that commitment in your heart today that you're not just listening to a pastor or you're not thinking about what you've got to accomplish this week or some problem that you're having? Wouldn't it be great if we could hear from Jesus as powerful as a sign that he would speak to us about? So we're not going to read that whole section at once. I'm just going to read it as we go along. You'll notice it's all printed for you uh, in the scripture there. So if you look at the beginning of the chapter, uh, the first thing it says, it says, uh, on the third day. Uh, now, whenever you read something like that, you know, you already start asking questions like, what does that mean? Um, so you, you see that John is laying out this week in the life of Jesus, the beginning of his ministry. Day one, 
we're told, was the day that John the Baptist is questioned about who he is in chapter 1, verse 19. Day 2 was John points to Jesus as the Lamb of God, John 1, 29. Day 3, John introduces Andrew and John. Andrew brings Peter uh, to Jesus and these, uh, the calling of these first disciples. Day 4, Jesus found Philip, and Philip brought Nathaniel, 143. Day 5 and 6, they travel from uh, to Cana in Galilee, and then on day 7, Jesus changes the water into wine uh, at, this, at the wedding. Uh, so you can see what's happening here. Um, there's some things that you can notice. Um, he you know, it's interesting, you know, when you're reading the scripture there, a lot of times you just read over stuff like that. But why does the Bible go into all that detail about that? Well, what I want you to remember is that John writes his gospel like it's connected to Genesis. Remember, his first words were, in the beginning was the word, which sounded just like the beginning of Genesis, right? In the beginning, uh, God created. Uh, so, you know what happens in Genesis, right? You get in the beginning, and then it says, on the first day, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And then it goes on. It says, this is what happened on day two and day three. And so you get the whole week, right? Uh, through the seven days, uh, he creates man, and then finally on the seventh day, uh, he rests. Can you see what John's doing? He's kind of picking that up. He said, well, on, I'm, I'm going to describe the coming of the Christ. In the beginning was the word. And on, uh, and on the first day, uh, he tells us about John the Baptist. And then just like I had it all laid out for you in that little chart there, all the way down to now, he's traveled to Cana of Galilee, and he's ready to do this first sign. Now, uh, the other thing you notice is that the, the book of John is laid out uh, with the first week and a last week. You get the first week, you get these seven signs, and then when you get to John 12 through the end of the book, it all basically happens in one week. So we get the first week, and then we're going to see the last week uh, as we get ready. So I'm just trying to help you think about this, uh, the flow of, of John. Now, this sign happens at a wedding. It's a miracle that happened at the wedding. Now, don't miss the obvious thing. I mean, first of all, aren't weddings great? <laughs> You know, they had a problem at this wedding. We always have problems at weddings, don't we? <laughs> Laughter of identification. Uh, always worried about when, when we got married, Kim was so worried because we were going to be driving her dad's uh, automobile. He had one of these big old long boats they used to have, whatever, you know. And so big old long car. And so Kim was so worried about it because she knew that my sister was up to no good. And she was going to do something to the vehicle. So the whole day, you know, she's just worried about uh, there's even a little chase scene that went on somewhere where she's, I don't know. Like I say, you got your own story, right? About stuff that happened that didn't go well. Somebody didn't show up. The clothes weren't right. The flowers weren't right. Da -da 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 -da. Something happened. Well, that's what happens here. Uh, second thing I'd like you to notice is that Jesus shows up at a wedding. You know, sometimes... It, you know, we, we forget that Christ is invited into these celebrations of our life as well. Sometimes it's like we only, we only bring him in when we're in trouble or something wrong's happening. But God shows up in these 
uh, celebrations. And so uh, this Jewish wedding that's described here was a little different than the way our weddings go. Uh, there was a ceremony, and then after the ceremony, it might be, it would be night probably by that time, and they would have uh, like a torch procession to the bride's home or her parents' home at that home where they would, they would kind of make speeches, and they would have, you know, these proclamations about uh, this wedding, and then they would go to a celebration that would usually happen at the groom's home. Uh, you know, Eastern West weddings and Western weddings are quite different. You know, Western weddings, the bride is, you know, you know what they do? They have, the, they have the groom come in from this little side door and sort of slip in to the front. When the girl comes in, oh my goodness, blah, 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 and there she comes, you know, ta-da. I mean, she's the focus, right? Well, in Eastern weddings, uh, really the groom was the one. I mean, he, he was bringing people together. He was having this great meal, just celebration. And it was so important for the community that they would come together uh, for uh, these celebrations. So um, that's what's happening here. That's the, that's the background of what's going on here. So I don't want you to miss this. Um, what we saw earlier was that Jesus had picked out at least six of his disciples by this time, right? So we don't know how many of the, you know, it was Andrew, Peter, John, all those guys. And so uh, all of them show up at this wedding. So they're all going to a party. They just got selected to be disciples. And now they're going to have a, a nice time uh, at this wedding. Aren't you glad that God keeps us balanced, that God shows up in all kinds of different situations of our life. It's one of the things that I constantly talk about with us around here is that you have to welcome Christ into every situation in your life. You know, if you, if you got certain things, well, for instance, if the only time he really shows up is on Sunday morning, when you're coming in, that's the primary time that you think about God, your life is going to be messed up. You're going to have good moments in some spiritual part of your life, but it's going to be slanted. It's going to be messed up because he wants to be involved in every detail of your life. If you hadn't noticed that about God, you just start talking to him about it. He wants to be involved in everything. Uh, and so he shows up uh, in, in this celebration as a part uh, of this wedding. Now, now, some of you, some of you might be uh, involved in planning a wedding or thinking about a wedding, or maybe you got somebody getting, you know, the most important person to invite to your wedding is Jesus. I know you got to get all them other people there, but the most important person to invite into your marriage is Jesus. So he's part of this wedding. Uh, now notice what happens. Um, Jesus went to the wedding and it was a celebration. Now at this wedding, Jesus moves from guest to son to host. Guest to son to host. Now notice how it happens. First of all, they run out of wine. This is a big deal. You don't run out of wine at a Jewish wedding. As a matter of fact, they could fine you. The community would fine you if you, if you ran out of food and wine. Um, you could, uh, it, was, it was a huge embarrassment to the family. So Jesus and his mother have this, have this little exchange. Um, now, a lot of people, when they're reading this particular story, read about Jesus and his mother and uh, how it all comes about, and they, they, they kind of question what is happening there. So here's Mary, Jesus' mother. She was there at the birth. 
And she's there at this wedding. She'll be there throughout his ministry. We know she's there at the crucifixion, the resurrection. Um, Joseph is not there. Most believe that he probably passed away sometime earlier in the life uh, of Jesus. But here's Jesus at an event that evidently Mary had something to do with. Uh, It's a family event. His mother comes up to him and began to have this discussion. Jesus, they've run out of wine. Then Jesus says, uh, just almost a strange little thing there. He says, uh, when the wine was gone, Jesus said to him, they have no wine. So we have this little exchange between them. Uh, Verse four says, woman, what does that have to do with us? Uh, And Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. So what it sounds like is that Mary is suggesting something and that Jesus is resistant to do it like your son might be. Right? Mamas, they're going to do everything you ask them to do? Probably not. So we think that Mary's making a motherly suggestion to help out, and Jesus is resisting, and Mary insists. he even, you know, you, get, you got this whole thing that this need arises. There's an invitation to do a miracle. Um, but what's really happening here is that Mary is suggesting and Jesus is informing and Mary submits to it. Jesus says, woman, what does this have to do with us? Some of you don't like that he called his mom a woman, right? Well, the problem that we have with it is that we don't understand the way this was spoken, The word woman in a Hebrew context wasn't like a rude statement to a woman. Actually, if if we translate it in today's words, it probably should have been fine lady. Fine lady. You know what I think it was? I think in the South we'd say, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Right? There's no arguing. I'm listening to what mama says. Yes, ma'am. He's not not being rude uh, to his mother. He's simply saying that, Mary, you have one idea about how the... You know what I think happened? He starts walking in, and he's got these fellows with him all of a sudden. I mean, he's got a group, and she's thinking, hmm, I remember what the angel said. I remember what they said about him. This must be the time. Something's going to happen. And they just had different impressions. She probably was still thinking in a Jewish way about the coming of the Messiah, that it would come and take over Rome and set them free politically and all that. You know, she probably just had the same cultural perspective. Um, But Jesus is saying, you know, what does this have to do with you and me? He's saying my idea or opinion and your idea or opinion are far apart from each other. We have different ideas. So as much as Mary knew about Jesus, she still had expectations, wondering, and Jesus says, my time has not yet come. So this is one of John's themes, this whole idea of of God being in charge of the time. He says, uh, right there, he says, my hour has not yet come. So what, what, why this focus on time and um, what, what hour is he talking about? Well, several places in Scripture. Uh, John 7.30 says, They tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet come. John 7.30. In 8, 
8.20, he says, he spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put. No one seized him because his time had not yet come. John 12.23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He's saying now is the time. John 13 is the Passover feast. Jesus knew that his time had come. It's the day before he's going to go to the cross. And John 17.1, Jesus is talking to the Father and he says, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son so that you may he may glorify you. So all throughout the gospel of John, we see this, uh, this the right time. Jesus is saying to Mary, first, you don't understand what I'm going to do. And the time isn't right. So Mary suggests Jesus teaches or informs. And in Mary submits, Mary uh, submits to him. Notice how she submits. Verse five. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever he says to you, do it. We're going to say this as a memory verse together. Uh, it's John chapter 2, verse 5. We're going to say the reference. We'll say the whole verse there, and then we'll say the reference together. Ready? John 2, 5. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. John 2, 5. So uh, in this section, we see Jesus is responding to his mother and Mary's responding back, do whatever he says, whatever he says to you, do it. Um, she is saying, I trust you, Jesus. I trust you to do what's right. This is her submission moment. See, it's really the essence of trust, isn't it? When you have in your life where you say to God, I really want this. I really want that. I really would rather this happen. I want this to take place, and you pray and you seek God. Uh, you know, but sometimes we see things from our human frame of reference rather than recognizing that real trust in Christ means whatever you want to do, I'm okay with that. Whatever you do is all right. It doesn't have to be my will. Jesus says it later, remember? Not my will be done, but your will. That's the essence of trust. And Mary's expressing that. Now notice what happens. Verse six, uh, verse six and seven says, now there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification containing 20 to 30 gallons each. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. Now we're told uh, three things about these water jars. Uh, first of all, we are told what they held. Uh, each one of them held 20 to 30 gallons, which if you multiply that by six, so you got 120 to 180 gallons of water. That is a lot of water, right? That is, uh, there's a, uh, a lot of water there. Jesus is going to change water to wine. And so each of these things kind of teach us something. The first thing it teaches us is that Jesus, when he gives a gift, it's lavish. It's great. I don't know what he brought to give that bride and groom, but this is a pretty good gift. There's a lot of water. They're out of wine, and he is going to provide it. Uh, so it's a pretty good wedding gift. He gives lavishly. Uh, have you noticed that in your life? And if you're paying attention, Jesus is not stingy. God is not holding back. God wants to provide us uh, his best. He wants to give to us. He wants to give lavishly. We sometimes miss that. Uh, maybe we're looking for our own things. But these, these 
these jars remind us that, uh, of the, the lavishness of this gift. We also recognize uh, what they tell us what these jars were used for. The jars were used for ceremonial washing. So this wasn't necessarily just drinking water. It was uh, at a Jewish meal, at a Jewish feast, um, who were following the right religious ceremony. They would wash their hands uh, before the meal in a specific kind of ceremonial way. Uh, They would wash their hands and let it kind of just drip off their elbows. Uh, So it just kind of was a a way of ceremonially washing their, uh, their hands. There was no touching the water. There was no playing in the water. It was a ceremonial uh, big jar, gallons of water. And in that setting, Jesus does this miracle. All the ceremony, all the outer cleansing. You know, what I love is that he took what was um, used for outer cleansing and decided to do a miracle in the context of that. He did it lavishly. He did it with purpose. The last thing we notice is not only what they held and what they were used for, but what they were made of. And it says they were these stone uh, stone jars, simple, common jars. No, they're not gold jars. They're not fancy jars. They're not silver jars. They're common clay pots. Um, we, we know when Jesus gives a gift, uh, he, the, the Bible even says he does it in clay pots, like referring to us as just simple, ordinary people. Isn't it amazing that God would do anything in your life? That God would do miracles in the life of people like us, that God would be willing to do things of his greatness in each of us. So Jesus looks at these water pots in verse seven. He says, he calls the servants and he says something very simple to them. Fill the jars with water. He had them fill the jars with water. And when God wants to do a miracle, the first thing he does is usually God involves us in doing something ordinary. God involves us in doing something ordinary. You know, that's always the place that God starts. God involves us in doing ordinary things. Um, you know, I can't turn water into anything. Um, I can make iced tea. You know, I can, uh, but I can't, you can't turn something with water into wine in a miraculous way, but I can fill a water pot. I know how to do that. You know, that's us, right? We do the ordinary so that God does the extraordinary. Always notice that when God wants to do something in my life, he's always asking me to be a part of it somehow. If I'm praying for somebody else, he usually doesn't want me just to pray. He usually wants me to do something, to be involved. That's, you know, I'm a, I I like to show up when I can. I like to reach out um, this morning I was praying for five or six people, some of those that I named in the prayer. And so I said, I, so I text all them, uh, early this morning. Uh, well, I just wanted them to know that I was praying for them. That I, I, I want to do more than when God's going to do them. Is God going to hear our prayers? Yes, he is. But he wants me to be a participant in that. We get to be a part of that. So these guys, um, are filling uh, the water pot, pots, very ordinary thing. Um, I like their obedience though. Uh, Jesus says, fill the water pots. Notice how they filled them. They filled them to the brim, like filled them up. So we're going to have this miracle. You know what we could have had? We could have had half-filled pots of wine, right? 
I don't think Jesus was going to say, hey, what are you guys doing? Go back and really fill. No, he said, fill, fill them with water. And if they had only filled them like three quarters, that would, but they filled them to the brim. They filled them all the way up. You know, when God asks you to do something, let's do it. Let's do it. Not half-heartedly. Let's serve him. Uh, that's what he's asking here. He's going to do the miracle. You cannot do the miracle. But what you can do is do what you can do to the best of your ability because God works through us. You with me? This is a great miracle. I mean, if God asks us to do the ordinary, we do it to the fullest. And the miracle happens. Now, it, it's pretty phenomenal. Um, when, you know, God asked them to do something, they filled it up. Now, this miracle takes place. The disciples knew about it. Jesus knows about it. Mary knows about it. The servants know. But nobody else really even notices it. I mean, there, I notice there are no fireworks. You know, when a magician is doing a trick, they usually do a lot of showiness when, when that's happening. I, I notice that God is not really all that showy. He's powerful. God is powerful, but he's not showy. It says, verse 8 through 10, then he told them, draw out, draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called to the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. Jesus does this incredible miracle uh, in the midst of a need at a simple celebration wedding. Um, I, just wanted to, I just wanted to tell you something. Um, Jesus made wine, right? It does not say Jesus made Welch's. Uh, I, I, this is not the core of the sermon. I don't want you to get distracted, but I, I just think it's important. Um, you know, one of the things about me, um, just in my life and in my preaching, is um, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty much not afraid to talk about anything. Like, I, you can't, it's hard to get me upset. I started to say I can't be, but some of you, then you try. No, I don't want you to do that. Uh, I have been a few times, I get, but most of the time, I'm, I'm pretty steady. I'm pretty, uh, you, can, you can ask these people that work around here, um, because I don't want to get upset about everything. I want to talk about things. I, I want to I sit down and deal with the hardest things, because so many times we don't talk about stuff. You know, it just doesn't make any sense to me to preach about God making, or Jesus making water into wine and not talk a little bit about the wine, right? You with me, all right? So it, it just doesn't seem authentic. If we don't, so in, in the church of the Nazarene, we, uh, we talk about drinking, we talk about alcohol. Now, notice, I wrote a few things down for you so you kind of remember what I had to say. Um, first, this passage is not about making a moral decision about alcohol. A lot of people like to try to make it, well, he made water into wine. Um, that's not what this passage is about. I'm going to tell you what this passage is about as soon as I finish talking about this, and we'll get to the end. But, you know, it's clear that the Bible has a view on wine and especially about drunkenness. Now, a lot of people like to say, well, alcohol is a sin. Well, the Bible makes clear that drunkenness is certainly a sin. 
right? I mean, you can read those verses I have for you there, Ephesians 5, 18, Galatians 4, 3, 1 Peter 4, 3, some others. Um, but it's so important, like I said, that we have an authentic and transparent conversation. Now, when you think about the drink in John chapter 2, it was not grape juice. It was fermented wine, right? I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, it's just, it's not, it's not honest to make it Welch's, right? So I like that water to Welch's, don't you like it? So, uh, but it was different. You know, things were, it's been 2,000 years of effort. So the alcohol content and the, the reason that they needed it, I mean, we could talk a lot about the water at that time and all, the, that, all of that kind of stuff, but there are no excuses. Um, the culture was very different uh, than we deal with today. Yet I'd like you to know that alcohol has always been abused. I mean, it's 2,000 years ago. Did you hear the, what I said in that verse? The bridegroom came aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. So it was going on then and before then. It's gone on all the time ever since, and it's still going on now. So the Church of the Nazarene, in our history, we have always had a great concern for the suffering. It's kind of the foundation of our, of who, why are we so interested in working in the community and doing stuff for a single lady? You know, all this stuff that we do, why do we do that? Because it's in our bones that we care about the hurting and the broken. You like that, don't you? You like that. You know, you, you want, you might not always want to do it for somebody else, but if you're in trouble, you'd like to have a little support and a little help, right? Just, thank you. That's right. We're all like that. Not just her. We're all, we, we want to, and the Church of Nazarene cares about that. So this whole idea of alcohol is that we have always had this concern for the suffering and especially for the destruction that alcohol brings. Would you all, would you all agree that alcohol is absolutely destructive when you look at it overall? Can I get a little amen? But that'd be our, you kind of help me out. Don't leave me out here today. So, um, so we recognize that the impact of abuse on alcohol in our culture happens in all kinds of different ways, medically, uh, addiction, as well as the impact on families. I was in the hospital on July 1st and July 2nd. I had a heart attack standing right here, and I was in the hospital for two days. Do you know, I didn't count, but I'm pretty sure that 50 people, doctors, nurses, all kind of, at least 50 people asked me, do you drink and smoke? I, th I mean, after a while, it's like, what is happening here? You know, I know all this stuff about the medical impact of, of, of alcohol and all that, but I'm telling you, all those people, you know what the implication every time was? You don't need to be doing that. It's hurting your body. It's affecting you. Alcohol and tobacco. Uh, you, you, that's not a surprise to you, is it? Right. You, you, you know that. Um, so we know the impact there. So we have chosen, as, as the Church of the Nazarene has chosen, to encourage abstinence from alcohol. That, that's, that's what we decided. Now we, didn't decide, now, we recognize that not all Christians accept that view. And we are not judgmental over other, other 
Christians, other denominations that look at it differently because redemption and mercy has to be our guiding principle. We can't have a care for the suffering of people with alcohol and have a battle with the people that think about things differently. Come on. Good preaching, pastor. We got to, right? So I'm helping you think about this thing. So um, we know that even if all things are lawful, if all things are, another translation says, permissible, not all things are beneficial. 1 Corinthians 10, 23. So alcohol has this potential for desensitizing us. Do you know that the Bible says you should be sober-minded? Did you ever hear that? You should have clarity in your thinking, which alcohol desensitizes and allows us to lose control. And it doesn't, even though it doesn't have the same effect on everyone in the same way, the evidence is clear that it has had and continues to have a huge impact on many in our society. See, the question is not, would it be okay for us to have a a social drink? That's what people love to say, right? Wouldn't it be okay? Okay, that's not really the question that we're trying to address through the Church of the Nazarene. We say, even if the Bible is saying that, no, let's not be inauthentic about this. Uh, we're, We're recognizing that it is so destructive that we decided we would take a stand against that. So I'm more interested in what is happening to other people in our culture rather than thinking about what little bit of stuff I could actually do and walk on the edge and get by with it. Am I helping you? I'm helping you to think about this thing in a different way because I can think about myself and what I can do and what I want to do, or I can recognize that God wants me to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love my neighbor. And we spent the whole fall talking about that. So uh, the last line here says, uh, we are called to give our lives to God and allow him to fully control our lives and hearts. Um, I'll just give you one personal example. Um, I have never drank, uh, not one time. My my father used to own a convenience store and uh, sold beer there. Um, I worked at that convenience store. I did not like that. I was kind of the cleanup person, and the worst cleanup in the world was cleaning up beer when it got broken in the store. In there, it's horrible. Uh, if you if you like it, that, don't don't call me. I don't. Um, <laughs> however. Uh, I decided early in, in, in our marriage that, I mean, first of all, you know, I'm not going to have a job if, if I'm out drinking somewhere, right? You know, that, that's not going to happen. Uh, you got that. But beyond that, that's not the only reason. As a, as a parent, you know, I, I, I hear adults that will say, well, it's totally fine for me to have like an adult beverage. And you do all that in front of eight-year-olds and 13-year-olds. And uh, I can't do it. I couldn't do it. Even, even if I wasn't a Nazarene, I'm telling you, I wouldn't be drinking because I do not. My son and two daughters have to make a decision about alcohol in their life. And I don't know for sure what they're going to decide. I, I think right now I know where they are, but they are adults now, and they have to make their own choices about that. But when they think about their dad, they're not going to have a model that that stuff that can destroy their life is okay. That's where we came. It's thinking about the destructiveness of it 
And so we just decided in the church of the Nazarene that we abstain. Even if some of those other Christians, they're not bad Christians because they see it a different way. This is just how we've chosen. You okay today? All right. But that's not really what this passage is about. I just wanted to be, some, uh, be clarifying. So look at the end here. Verse 11 says, What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed him. Jesus' first miracle, this first sign, was in, was in a private event at a wedding. The very last one was a public event uh, at a funeral. And you can see that. I got you listed for you there where it tells you the seven different ones from water to wine all the way to raising uh, of Lazarus. Now, so what's going on here? First of all, the first sign here was a miracle of creation. It showed that Jesus Christ is the Lord of creation. Read the sign. This sign is in big, bold letters, and it says, this is who Jesus is. Jesus showed that he was Lord over nature. He showed that he was Lord over time. He showed that he is Lord of creation. Now, you and I, we can take the laws of creation and see how things work, and we can see amazing things. Uh, but the only one who can work outside of the laws of creation is the creator himself. Jesus did it. He walked on water. He is the creator. He had power over creation. And it's so important for us to realize that Jesus is the creator. Um, some, somebody said that, you know, a lot of people don't talk about God related to nature. They love to talk about mother nature, mother nature. You know, it's kind of like um, I got this glove. And so I take this glove. And so you, you put on a glove and you go out uh, in your garden in the spring and you're planting stuff and then you start pick, pulling weeds. So you start pulling these weeds and you're cleaning up your garden and somebody comes by and they see you and they say, man, that glove is really doing a good job with that garden. Well, don't you see the hand inside of the glove? It's kind of stupid, right? But some people forget the hand of God inside the glove. This might be nature, mother nature, but God's hand is the one bringing all the creation, accomplishing what he desires to accomplish, even outside of the laws of, of nature as we see them. He is the Lord. Jesus is Lord over creation. That's who we serve. The miracle of creation here is beautiful, isn't it? But it's even more beautiful. One more. This miracle is also the miracle of transformation. Transformation. It changes everything. Read the sign. Jesus only makes, not only makes things, Jesus changes things. He really brings about change. He does the same thing that he did here. He does it in your life. And the real question is, how can I experience this wedding miracle in my heart? I mean, he reckon, notice some verses. First, 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, Outwardly, our bodies are wasting away. 
but inwardly we are being renewed day by day by day. That's the principle. God changes things. On the outside, we might be growing older, getting uh, sicker, having problems at times, but on the inside, he's bringing about transformation. God wants to bring about change, change in our circumstances, change in our ailments, especially change in our character that would lead us to cry. We are a bunch of clay pots, right? We're a bunch of clay pots made uh, from dirt in the image of God, uh, and he brings about uh, transformation in us. Do you believe this morning that he still has creative and transforming power in, his, in the life of his people? Not just generally that he has power, but power in your life. Do you know I've seen him do this miracle over and over again? I've seen it where a young person was lost, didn't know the direction to take in their life, ends up trying to just searching all over for purpose and how God comes and gives you purpose and direction and begins to, to give steadiness to your life. I've seen married couples that were done. I mean done. All was lost, no hope, and the Spirit of God came in and took that that was so messed up and broken and changed that circumstances, and God turned it around, and they're still married and still working together. Some of those in this room right now, I won't call them out, but you know you're sitting here and have experienced that miracle. Haven't you been hurt, uh, hurt in your heart? Somebody came in, and you felt like you would never be able to forgive, and how God took that ordinary situation, your hurt that maybe nobody else really knew the magnitude of and all of a sudden you got to the place where you're able to forgive and love again and not live in bitterness that's transformation where you have a bitter or hard-hearted life and how he turns you around into bring being sweet and tender toward him could God get you through those circumstances uh, could he I've seen widows and widowers who it seemed like they were never going to have any joy again in their life. Just seems like they're overwhelmed and losing their partner. And I've seen how the Spirit of God gives them new joy, new purpose, new hope. Oh, we've certainly he seen him heal the sick, right? I tell you, I've stood by beds, stood by the bed, and hear this story. This is happening, and that is happening, and this is the diagnosis, the x-ray, or this, said this or that. And I say, well, let's, let's just have a prayer. And so we pray, and we pray about that situation. And, you know, I, I hug them. I love them. I go my way. I'm telling you, there have been times people called me just about before I got home. Well, I don't know what happened, but something. Now, I'm telling you, that has nothing to do with me. All I am is ordinary. All I can do is fill the water pot. All I can do is say the prayer. God does all the work. He accomplishes it. Not too long ago, it was OSF, and there's this little boy. He's gonna have, he's gonna have um, surgery. So, um, so I get there, and some other people from the church are there, and so we, um, they, they didn't let us go back. They let, they had this little boy come out, you know. And there was some going on. I can't even remember exactly what it was, but I know there was a picture, and there was this, and they're getting ready to do surgery. It's eight o'clock in the morning. They're gonna do this surgery, and so we, uh, you know, we we stood there, we stood in a little circle, and we all prayed together, and. You know, everybody's crying and worried about this little boy and all that. And then he goes back there and we sit down and we're waiting. I mean, it's 30 minutes later. These people got, well, they decided not to do it. I don't know what happened, but, the, you know, whatever the signs were, they're not there anymore. And whatever was on that, it's gone. So 
You believe God does stuff like that? I don't, he doesn't do that all the time. I don't know why. I'd love for, I mean, that'd be awesome. <laughs> but he still does change. He still brings transformation. So as we close this service today, what I felt like, we, sh- we should not study this passage of Scripture and not ask him if he's willing to do it, right? I'm sure that you have something that you need God to do. You got something that you want him to work in. I mean, I'm telling you, I remember this happened several times, and I hope you understand. I'm just giving you the truth. I'm not trying to lift myself. This, these couple of girls, they wanted so bad to be pregnant. You know, and it just got, it just got on my nerves, you know, after a while. And it's just like, come on, God, you know, just, just help. This girl just wants to have a baby. Um, I did something like we're doing right now. And they, they were all lined up across the front of that church at the time. And, uh, I, you know, we, we probably prayed 40, 50 people that day, but that, there was that one little girl that was right there. And I'm telling you, it was hardly no time. And she came and said, you know, that day I asked God to, to, to bring about change, water to wine, nothing to a child. I love that little boy. <laughs> I love him. See what God, God wants to work. Now, just because you pray that today, but let's not not ask him, right? Let's come together in this. This is kind of the environment that he wanted us to have. So what kind of change? I'm going to pray a prayer in just a minute. And if you have something that you want to ask God to do in your life for you, for somebody else, some situation that just seems beyond your control. And all you can do is fill the water pot. He has to do the miracle. Would you just stand up? You got a need like that? Just just stand. I'm not going to call you out or have you tell what it is. I just want you to stand up and just tell God, I got something that is needs transformation. I got a situation that I don't know what to do with. Thank you. Just keep standing. Anybody else? Now you tell him. Mary said, whatever he says to you, do it. So you do your part. You trust him. You pray. You seek him. And then you leave it up to him. But wouldn't it be amazing if God would bring about the kind of transformation in these moments, just like he did at a wedding long ago? He's still creative. He's still transforming. Let's ask him to do it in your life. Would you bow? Jesus, I've never been more serious in my whole life about a prayer than I am right now. You put this story in your word. It says that you are the word. And you went to this marriage feast, this wedding celebration, 
and you did the unthinkable. You took ordinary water and turned it into wine. You did a miracle of creation and transformation. That's what this story is about. But we believe it is not just a beautiful story in Scripture. It is an expression of who you are. Dear God, through your son, Jesus, we pray for the things in our life that feel unchangeable, that we don't know what to do with. We may, we, I'm sure we have prayed about it hundreds of times. But these men and women, my friends, Lord, today, they stood up because they're hurting over it. They're struggling with it. Lord, and I, I want you to know that whatever you decide is right, whatever the right timing is, we trust you for that. But we want you to know we need a change. We need a transformative moment. We need you to touch that person. We need you to touch that situation. We need you to work in us and change our ex experience about it and our, our willingness to allow you to have your way. Whatever's being prayed about today, Lord, here in this room, on a live stream, wherever people are watching, Lord, right now we, we submit these needs to you because we trust you. We believe that you are able to change what seems unchangeable to us. Transform the situation. Give that baby Heal that hurt. Go into that hospital room. Work in that nursing home. Change that behavior. Offer forgiveness. Transform the person. Transform the situation. Do what only God could do. And what we will do, Lord, is say, praise God. Hallelujah. All glory to you. Because whatever happens, we're going to praise you for it. Thank you for this sign. It points directly to you. In Jesus' name, the creator, the transformer, in Jesus' name, we pray. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. Praise his name. Thank you.